The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio again. And uh, we're glad to have you listening in. Well, we had a great show with on the Doctor's Lounge with Dr. Al Shears in this morning talking about uh, is it already too late. But anyway, that'll be posted and you can download it uh, within the next, oh, I'd say probably hour, hour and a half. This morning we're going to start out with, uh, we're going to have a veteran's place and on the line already is Dr. Don Moeller. But before that, we're going to do what we do with every veteran show, military show, or first responder show. And that is that we're going to have just a moment of silent prayer. bless our country as we're going through so many different things right now and uh, we need all the help that we can get. The other thing that we do with every veteran's show is make sure that your heart's beating and the way we do that everybody remembers is And it is dynamite, and uh, we all love our Jodies and our Cadence Calls and uh, our Honor Guard. And I want to just put out a thanks to all of the folks that uh, participate and give of their time and services to be in Honor Guards. And uh, Johns Creek Veterans Association has a great honor guard, and they do a wonderful job. Uh, Mike Mazel does a great job as the director of the uh, wall that heals in Johns Creek. And if you're not familiar with that, that's the uh, Vietnam veteran. It's a 50% size of the wall in Washington, D.C., in Johns Creek, Georgia, the city of Johns Creek, Georgia, and uh, the Johns Creek Veterans Association bought it, and now it has a permanent home in Newtown Park in Johns Creek. And if you're traveling and you get to get close to Georgia, you ought to. If you haven't seen the Vietnam Veterans Wall, then you ought to come by Johns Creek and take a look. And uh, I guarantee you, you will. Uh, if you don't shed tears, you'll be holding them back. 
So, with that being said, we've got our medic, our dentist, and our doctor, M.D., on the line. And our host of the show, Don Muller. Good morning, Don. Hey, thanks, Dave. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the U.S. Navy. I'm broadcasting, or whatever you call this, from St. Louis, from my uh, father-in-law's uh, house, who... Uh, was in the Battle of Leyte Gulf in World War II, where the U.S. was outnumbered by an entire Japanese armada, defended it with four escort carriers, uh, and they put up such a fight that the Japanese thought they'd encountered the main element. And that's kind of fighting and kind of patriotism uh, uh, that, that our fighting men and our patriots exhibit. Uh, this morning, uh, surprisingly, we're going to talk about moral injury again. But I realized that the uh, audience awareness factor, uh, I have to dial in a, a little bit more information. And, and what I mean by that, the key word we're going to be talking about this morning is connections. Now, David, it's hard to believe, but I realized our audience is composed of people who are basically human action figures. You know those the the toys that the kids get? Sure. They're the firemen, the policemen, the emergency responders, the nurses, the soldiers, the doctors, and the pilots. And today we're going to talk a little bit about philosophy, but the problem is there are no philosopher action figures. <laughs> uh, I, I don't... Uh, I, there's no philosopher action figure holding a magic marker or a piece of chalk, explaining some principle in philosophy. And so what we have to do, because we're going to transition now into moral injuries, and, and that's a complex, a relatively complex topic. And so you have to go back to your audience's training, and mine included, how many police academies fire science academies, basic training, nursing programs, have a requirement as a course in philosophy and logic. And basically, we are very practical people. And our job is to stop the bleeding, get the bad guys, put handcuffs on the robbers, and ambush the bad people trying to take away our freedoms. But, but you have to understand that moral philosophy is involved and we're we're only going to spend five minutes for this we're not going to get out into the weeds uh because you have to understand the effect of culture and philosophy on a moral injury and because we're the rough and tumble guys you know when the shooting starts like the police in nashville you know they all said we run towards the problem not away from it and I guarantee you, they were not thinking about moral philosophy, moral injury, and ethics while they were headed to rescue uh, the people, the kids and staff of that school. And so when I bring up philosophy, the uh, urge of our action figure audience is to just shut it off, which I'd ask that you not do that for five minutes for a couple reasons. Uh, we are going to talk about practical philosophy right now. 
and I'm not going to waste my time with the theory of knowledge and whatever. I'm happy for the full-time philosophers, but that's not what I'm talking about. Let me sum it up. If you look both ways before crossing the street, you are demonstrating a logical connection and correlation factors. You know, people that live in the city that don't look look both ways aren't going to have a long life. The factor of correlation or the connection between humans and looking for correlations like hot water burns your hand, don't touch a hot stove. This is the same thing that we're going to be talking about today in, in the area of moral uh, injury. Now, you can debate what truth is, and that's another concept in philosophy. But I will start out with truth as, as a starter is correlation. So when we talk about moral injury this morning, it doesn't matter whether you say, well, that has to do with God and I'm not having any part of it. Well, if you look both ways before you cross the street, you believe in correlation. And that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. The next thing we're going to move into is that cultures are correlated to truth, and they're interconnected inextricably. The culture we grow up in, we cannot see because we're submerged in it. People in the military that visit different cultures and, and, and to help defend them become very aware that what's logical and normal in our, in our culture is not necessarily true. But there is truth that most cultures, almost all cultures, and this is from one of the textbooks by Dr. Koenig, all share common values and, and assert these values for the stability of the culture. So where am I going uh, with this? There is a connection between a culture and its morals and its ethics. And whether you're in a and, and what they call, I remember, what they call a primitive culture. There are no such thing as primitive cultures. Sometimes a supposedly primitive culture has more rules than our culture. So what, what part of moral injury am I going to be talking about? Well, basically, we're going to talk about something that you cannot see. I have been reading and discussing laundry lists for almost six months now for PTSD that, that are criteria whether or not you think you might have PTSD. And then there is criteria for moral injury. And if you haven't heard those, we'll do a very brief review on those today. But I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the archived programs because Anytime you have something that affects your life, as in looking both ways before you cross the street, that's a physical problem. You will be very dead if you get hit by a car. That's, that's a, a note from Captain Obvious here. But the, what people don't understand is that moral injuries can have as devastating effect on your life as not looking both ways. So what are we doing? We're connecting culture we're connecting truth, moral, and, and see, truth is related to moral injury. What you're, 
what your culture has given you. So we're relating culture to truth to pragmatic action, like looking both ways. Now, I'm going to give an example, and then we're going to move on. But my example is to support the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. This is a connection that I'm going to make. If you're in the forest and you're lost and you, your friend is a survivalist and you don't know where north is, your survivalist friend will pull a needle out, most likely of his shirt or his wallet, which has been magnetized. He will find a depression in a rock. He'll pour some of his canteen water in it. He'll get a needle. I mean, he'll get the needle and he'll put it on a leaf and he'll float that leaf and that needle will will turn north and give you a north-south direction. That seems pretty simple. Well, I'm going to make a connection. You can't do that in a primitive culture because they don't know what you're doing. They don't know why you would want to know where a needle turns. We have already, in our culture, seen compasses, and we're talking about a moral compass now, and that's why I'm making the connection. You've got a moral compass that you've got and someone may try and make you think that that doesn't exist. Well, what have we done? We, we, we know that there is a magnetic north. We know that that field goes throughout the entire war, world. We cannot see this. We cannot see a magnetic field. And we're not going to get into the theory of gravitational waves, not on this program. So they also, the primitive people would have to put several ideas together and this what moral injury is. You have to know, you have to take something like water, you have to take a leaf that floats, you have to put the needle on the leaf, the, the needle has to be magnetized by an unknown force to detect an unknown force. So, I'm going to wrap this up. You can deny moral injuries. You can deny a spiritual uh intent or existence of a spiritual, we'll call it, field, like a gravitational, but you're going to be wrong, and you're going to lose the argument. So the tough guys at the fire station and the tough guys in the, in the infantry squad, you can deny what I'm about to discuss, but you're trapped in the culture as much as the guy that does believe in God and have a spiritual nature. So what I've done is I've put out a small framework to, to dive into moral injuries. Now, we have read the laundry lists of moral injuries, but what I've not discussed is the fact that the, mor the, the moral injury that our soldiers, firemen, first responders uh, have been getting is a very, very real uh, problem. But you can't see it, and that's why I came up with the analogy of the needle in the forest. You have to put those things together, the leaf, the water, the needle, yada, yada, to find your direction. You cannot see a magnetic field, but you know it's there. You use correlation because we are hardwired for, to look for correlation. You can't get around that. Our cultures are also hardwired, because we live within them, to look for truth. This is how we arrive at a moral injury. You are hardwired for ethical behavior, 
you are hardwired to look for absolute truth if it exists or truth. You are hardwired in your culture to work within that culture and use the ethics and morals of that culture. How do we get a moral injury? Well, when someone crushes your compass and you can't use it anymore, you're just as lost as the guy in the forest that doesn't know the trick with the needle. And now I'm going to get to the main point. The same feeling that you have, if you've ever been on a compass course, and Dave, I know you have, that being in the, you know, trained as an infantryman, when you're lost in the forest and it's cloudy and there is no sun, you're lost. That sinking feeling, and that's what I'm talking about right now, that feeling of being lost, the feeling of moral injury, one of the feelings of moral injury, it's manifested by that same feeling. What are the moral injury things? Well, one of them is loss of meaning, loss of purpose. Those are two examples. Guilt and shame. You have that feeling that, that overcomes you when you're lost. This is only one, one, an analogy and an example of it. So when you're looking at your fellow soldiers and first responders, that have suffered a moral injury, it's nothing you can put a bandage on. It's the same feeling as when you're in the forest and you realize that you're lost and two minutes before you thought you knew where you were. That slipping, sliding, hollow feeling of impending doom is the same feeling in a way that moral injury is perpetuated. So it's a very, very real uh, thing. So you have to understand that what we're talking about now is not a visible phenomena. And it has to be treated just like you live in a world where you could not uh, uh, find your way or you were always lost. You would be confused and... and uh, you would have that same feeling with moral injury. So now I've described part of it. Dave, does that kind of uh, make sense? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, again, you have to uh, have experience, experienced it to understand more about what you're talking about. But uh, I think we, uh, you know, I think this is a problem today. Uh that because we have no leadership, there are a lot of folks. We were talking about that earlier this morning on a show that uh, there are a lot of folks that feel lost because again, we we expect some folks to be our leaders, and when they let us down, we feel lost. That's right, and this and and here's the thing that. You brought up, Dave. In our culture, we are used to having good leadership, leadership at all levels. And when when that becomes confusing, and what was truth for one generation seems to be eroding, then that creates uh, a diffuse sense of confusion, not only in the people in society, but in our police. For example, 
defund the police. Well, if you're a policeman, how does that make you feel? You get up to defend the same creatures. We'll call. We'll say the the, the police and we soldiers and the firemen and the first are sheepdogs. And you get up in the morning, and wait a minute, I'm going to work to risk my wife, and the sheep don't care. That is a moral injury. Why is that a moral injury? Because your culture has taught you fairness, taking care of children, protect and take care of the weak, the elderly, and the incapacitated. The nurses say, hey, when there's a problem in an accident on the road, nurses, doctors, EMTs, even if they're not on duty, run towards the event. Well, why would you not have a moral injury when you're a policeman and your city turns its back on you? A city and people who have never experienced the terror of being shot at, beat up, not even if that's bad enough as that is. But when you think that you spent your life studying to be fair, you know, Miranda rights and all that, to be fair, and the same people that you're risking your life for don't care. Look at the soldiers now. One percent, no, correct, uh, I make correction, 0.75% of the population is in the military. And it's going down. Why? If you're in a culture that enjoys freedoms and you're connected with loving freedom and you don't make the connection between your soldiers defending that right, ask the people in the Ukraine about this. These are moral injuries. And I think, contrary to Pentagon whatever, management team, and, and I think you're bringing it up here in the radio, Dave, when you get a diffuse sense of leadership being not knowing what they're doing, why, why are you going to risk your life to defend a country that does that or has that instability? And I think that's what they're actually finding now, but they have re- reluctant to talk about it. Again, moral injury. It's a diffuse, I don't know where I am feeling. You see, when you lose your mission in life, when you lose your purpose in life, and life does not have meaning, you you enter that state. You're lost in the forest, and you don't know you've lost your compass. You've lost your moral compass. Dave, does that seem like we're hitting it on the nail on the head there? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, every situation, and I guess that's as good a word as any, requires leadership. You can't, you, you have to have someone or something that you're looking, and it's not AI, it's a person leading. And, uh, it's, you know, I'll make you a bet. I'm gonna I'm gonna step into your expertise for one second, but I'll make you a bet. If I went out on the street and I stopped a guy and I said, "Here, here's a hypothetical question for you. You're gonna have an operation and it's gonna 
require uh, surgery. Who's in charge of the surgery, and who's in charge of the operating room? And I, I would bet you, Don, that 99.9% of the people would say, well, they're surgeon, of course. Wrong. Who's in charge of the operating room? The anesthesiologist. And people don't understand that he or she has your life in their hands, and if something is going south, that anesthesiologist can stop the operation in midstream. And the anesthesiologist is in charge over the operating surgeon and everything else. Am I correct? Yes. Uh, I... I have been in cases in emergent situations with friends who were anesthesiologists, and uh, I said, you do know the surgeon is captain of the ship. And the anesthesiologist said, yeah, and I'm the admiral of the fleet. Yeah. And, you know, and the reason we have that is so there's an order. There's an order in case of an emergency and Dave, you know, you brought up something so important. Uh, you're putting your life in the hands of another human being. And, and here's another point on moral injury. And I used this with a patient a couple weeks ago who was an infantry guy, a leader, a senior leader, who, who'd really been upset by some judgments he had to make. But what I'm trying to tell uh, the, the, the listeners when I was a medic in Vietnam, one of my assignments was to work in evacuation hospital and surgery. And I remember a, a, a patient, a soldier we got in who was, was seriously wounded. And what happened? The surgeons did their best, but when those high-velocity wounds are opened by the or high-velocity projectiles make these wounds, you can't tell one organ from the next and you have to make a decision, a life-risking, life-ending decision with no freaking information. And you make your best guess. And that's the same with our infantry friends and our police and firemen and EMTs. Our job is built-in moral injury. Now remember, your patient is not going to suffer the moral injury. We're the ones that get afflicted with moral injury. This is not a course of continuing education on how to stop the bleeding to save your patient. This discussion is a continuing education on how to save your own life. And, and let's, Dave, you brought it up and I'm glad you did. I just want to show you the difference between, uh, let's say, surgery or some invasive procedure in psychology. Now, <laughs> here's where I'm going with it. The connection's going to be, to, again, to moral injury. We said that there's symptom clusters in moral injuries that overlap PTSD. This is a fact. They may be similar. If your moral injury is not treated, it may make or exacerbate, the medical word, your PTSD problems worse or more refractory to treatment. Where am I going with this argument? 
if you go to a psychologist who is superior morally and, and an atheist and thinks, I'm not into truth or absolute truth, this is now why I gave you this little mini lecture. Your culture says you already have bought truth. Your culture has provided it for you. You look both ways when you cross the street because you use correlative indexes to survive. So let me give you another correlative index. If you go in to talk to a psychologist about your PTSD problem, I would suggest that you bring up the potential of moral injury. Why? Because you have learned in this program that it is critical and can interface and obscure a diagnosis of PTSD. So let's talk about operative counseling forms. And I'm going to connect that with talking to your psychologist. If your surgeon wants to, and I've signed thousands upon thousands of operative permission forms, especially in life-threatening situations with descending neck infections. And you list, why am I having this operation? What happens if I don't have this operation? What is a follow-up if this operation doesn't work? What are the chances of success of this operation? Well, I'm suggesting that you, if you're interested, go to the website on the American Psychological Association and put Google it and put consent forms. See the consent form that you sign when you're going to be counseled. And it's, do you have any other questions? And I said, yes, I have another question for you. Are you an atheist? And you'll probably get a response, what does that matter? Well, it matters because moral injuries are spiritual problems. And if you're an atheist, you've been blinded to modern research because you're not going to entertain the problem from a spiritual standpoint, and you're not going to refer me to a chaplain or someone that can deal with moral injuries. Let me repeat that. If I'm doing surgery and it's a very complex case, before I start, I have to know enough not to do the surgery if I can't do it all. That's a critical point. You don't see your, your surgeons telling you that. The only time the exception to that rule is in an emergent situation. But all surgeons, anesthesiologists, nurses, if you go to see them as a patient and they know your problem is beyond their capability to do the best that the community can provide within a reasonable distance, they will refer you. So let's go to the psychologist. If I go into a psychologist and say, hey, I might have PTSD, I noticed on your consent form you don't have any reference that this could be confused with moral injury. Well, science says that it can be. And science says that some of my symptoms could be moral injury. And science says that if you can't sort it out, it may prolong my moral, it may prolong my PTSD or make it worse, or they both can affect each other. How many 
people have you referred to a chaplain recently for the treatment of moral injury? These are all fair questions. But, and I, I will not, I am not knocking psychologists because I work down in Columbus, Georgia with outstanding psychologists, and we are a total team. But I'm talking to an audience that extends across the world. And if you go in to speak with a psychologist for therapy, one question I would ask, how many, how many patients have you referred with PTSD to work with a chaplain or someone trained in spiritual therapy? What do you think about that, Dave? I think it's one of those things that uh, it's a good place to take a break and let people think about it. And I agree with you. <laughs> So we'll be right back. All right. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show? talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com, and we'll get back to you. Thank you. And we will get back to you if uh, you're interested in doing a show or interested in uh, sponsoring a show. So, with that being said, you're listening right now to A Veteran's Place, and uh, we've got Dr. Don Moeller on the line, and uh, Don, go ahead with what you were were saying about uh, moral injury, and, you know, it, it's like everything else, uh, there, you PTSD, you can't just say, okay, here it is, there's one thing. Uh, it combines so many different things. And, uh, you know, I, I don't remember you and I ever talking about it, but, you know, uh, the, you could have an injury and, and suffer PTSD in the field. With a Dear John letter. And I'm sure that's happened, you know, many, many, many times where a guy's doing his duty or a woman's doing her duty and everything's fine and they get the uh, proverbial Dear John letter 
and they're ready to step out in front of the first bullet. And there are so many aspects of PTSD. And the moral injury, too, Dave. And moral injuries, sure. So, back to you. Yeah, well, Dave, thanks for bringing that up. And, and, and you know, what, what, what key word are we looking for in moral injury? That's betrayal. And where does betrayal come from? It comes from your friends. It comes from people who are supposed to be, uh, you, you can't operate as a soldier or unit or police or nurse outside of a team. Well, you subjugate your personality, your spirit, to the leader of that team. Why? For one reason, to improve your outcome for your patient or improve the outcome if you get attacked. And you, you just picked up one of the most important things is betrayal. Who can betray you for a moral injury? Your leadership. When you find out your leadership either didn't care where they sent your unit or your fire detachment or your, you know, your SWAT team, or they put you in a, in a risky situation and, and cut you loose. All these things are, are a basis of moral injury. And you're so right about the Dear John letter. They're guys that had one thing to hang on to, and that was their wife, their family. And being betrayed like, hey, I just got remarried or I just divorced you, uh, that's, that is a betrayal. That is a moral injury. And as you said, what used to be a great soldier one day, he opens that letter, he doesn't, he's the first one to want to catch a bullet. And so that is so critical to understand that where there's lack of leadership, there is a potential for betrayal. And that's, that's, and then what happens when you get the dear Johnlet? Well, if that relationship was the main reason for you to, to go through the next day or the next battle or the next fire, and then that's gone, what does that do? That affects your, your meaning, your loss of meaning and your emotional support. And, and that leads into another thing for moral injury. It exists in a culture. We're going to bring in, in, in the next session, we're going to start bringing in what I'll call ancient literature, literature from 0 A.D. to 300 B.C. Why am I doing that? Not to teach history. Those cultures dealt with moral injuries because they knew it was a cultural thing. Again, there are no primitive cultures. When they came back from the war, and I've mentioned this very briefly before, they brought booty, which is the prizes, whatever of war, the trophies of war. They brought that with them and distributed it among the people. They did not do that because the people were interested in making money or getting gain. They did that because they were telling the people, you were there with us in battle. This booty is from what we had to do, and we're letting society know that you are part of the battle. They also took that material and took it to their temples and said, God 
as they view God, the meaningful higher power, has said, you know, we went to war and he, prote- he it protected us. And I'm not using politically correct language. I'm just making it philosophy right now. So do we do that in our culture now? And Dave, you already know the answer. Is the public behind, you know, how, how are the politicians looking out for the veterans? Uh, in a rear view mirror. Yeah. Yeah. How about the V? How about the veterans trying to access care in the VA? What's the wait list? Why do the, why do our veterans and police and firemen get, not get as quality a care as the politicians? I don't care if everybody gets excellent care, but I really can't figure out how the political people uh, seem to get better health care than the people that put their lives on the line for the country. Well, not only that, we're starting to make, again, the title of this session, the program is Connections. You make the connection between moral injury and perpetuation of PTSD. Now, is the Defense Department working on it? Yes. They're starting on a program of spiritual readiness. And what is spiritual readiness? Well, when the tough gets going, the spiritual ready... When the going gets tough, the spiritual ready get get going. And that doesn't mean running to the rear. The Defense Department now is finding out that when you recruit somebody, there are four different classes of people. Some of the people that are doing it because they need money for college and need a job. The next group of people are the patriots. The next group of people are warriors. Well, what does that tell us with moral injury? All those people are motivated by a particular reason when they enlist. But when the going gets tough, the spiritual ready, the spiritually resistant are going to be the ones that make it through the battle. And any combat unit will be able to verify this. You're fighting for something more than a paycheck, a chance to go to college, or you couldn't find a job at a factory. This is why the Department of Defense and the military are now beginning, just beginning to engage in spiritual readiness uh, to prepare soldiers. Did you not find, and I can say, having been enlisted uh, and an officer, I never once was briefed on, you're going into combat, and you're going to see some garbage that's going to blow you away. And you're going to be shaken to your core. And here's what we want to do to help you. Dave, did you ever get that in your infantry training? No, not at all. Um, you know, the only, the closest thing I would say would be uh, when I was in basic, I had a, a drill sergeant named Polino. And uh, he had already done two tours in Nam and uh, was headed for his third tour and you know I don't know I can't say whether he was a good drill sergeant or not he was the only one I had in basic so uh, but he'd sit around outside with us in the evening in California and evenings there were beautiful and 
he would talk about some of the things that he had seen and some of the things that he had done, as did my best friend who died of Agent Orange. Uh, he would tell me some of the stories of what he did and, and the things that he had seen. But I never got, uh, you know, there... Everything, if people haven't been through BASIC, they, everything you do in BASIC and a lot of what you do in AIT uh, are called classes. And we're going to have a class on this. We're going to have a class on something here, something there, whatever. But, no, I never had a class on what to expect in NOM. Right. And, and this is where things are changing. You need, and it's been shown, and I quoted last week and two weeks ago, uh, evidence from studies that people who are more religiously engaged have a higher power, supposedly, uh, I mean, not supposedly, have a higher power format, way of thinking, are much more resilient in combat than those who do not have that. And they're realizing that. And and the chaplaincy is part of that program. And it and again I said, if you're feeling a little rocky and you say, I have to go talk to the chaplain, well what better way if the chaplains were working and I'm talking about the majority of chaplains with a more majority of psychologists. A chaplain said, Hey, Bob came in here, or Miss Sally walked in here, and I think she. We need to both help her. Well, now that that patient, that soldier, that fireman is in the system, and it went through the chaplain. Like this Easter, I'm going to church because I believe that Christ was resurrected. Period, and I believe there's evidence, and the Bible is so incredibly complex, and I can I love to debate uh, in apologetics on this. I'm placing my correlative factor index that Christ did arise from the grave, that he was so unique. But if you go to talk to a chaplain about moral injury, you're not going to get that lecture, okay? He is going to remain neutral until he finds out how you want to be helped and what my frame of reference is. And if I go into a chapel with a moral, chapel with a moral injury, I'm saying I'm a Christian. This is my belief. If he happens to be a Jewish rabbi, he's going to help me with the moral injury. He's not going to say, "Well, you know, let's talk theology and archaeology," and then that's not going to happen. So, my my statement to the to the firemen and first responders and nurses and ER physicians that if you if you say, I'm starting to feel like I'm in the woods with no compass, and and Dave, I'm sure you, you've been there, and I have, that one microsecond you will go from, hey, I'm on my way home to I don't know where I'm going, and this could end up poorly. If you've got that feeling, don't hesitate to find a chaplain. Say, I'm going to go see the chaplain about something. Well, think about it. The chaplain is now working on the team as an equal, equal member of the team. And now you are in the treatment chain. Not only that, there's no problem with saying my wife and I 
or my buddy and I, whatever, we're going to go talk to the chaplain about some things. And that's a good thing to do, because there's no shame in talking to the chaplain. It's saying, hey, I'm going to go see a psychiatrist. I think something, something snapped in the old bean. And this is another reason I wanted to bring this up on this program. We aren't diagnosing anything. We are simply letting people know the treatment avenues, a checklist. Like there's a PCL checklist, uh, the MCL, military checklist for PTSD. You can, you can get one online. You can take that thing and self-score it and go, there's something wrong. And now I'm going to interrupt myself to bring up another topic. And this topic is going to be sub-threshold PTSD. Uh, and I neglected to mention that, but I'm bringing it up now. If they're active duty guys listening, you can go, wait a minute. I'm waking up with headaches. My jaws hurt. My joint, my TM joints hurt. I have nightmares. I, I, I just kind of start to jump at things. You may have sub-threshold PTSD. You need to look that up and the symptoms. Because here's the problem. It's like winning a cigar at a, at a county fair. you got to knock so many bottles over, you know, by throwing those weights at them, whatever you do. Well, you got to knock so many bottles down in so many categories to get a PTSD diagnosis. And if you just have the nightmares and you're grinding your teeth and you're having the morning headaches from tension headaches and not getting any sleep, Buddy, you've only knocked three bottles down, and you're, and you're not going to get the diagnosis of PTSD. And you go, I can't. That was me in the service. I said, what is going on? Well, we just keep muscling through. But I'm calling that stage one PTSD. But the military does not award the diagnosis. But you can still suffer while you're on active duty. So I wanted you to know, our listeners and first responders, the nurses, are saying, hey, I'm getting nightmares. I'm getting headaches. I'm grinding my teeth. My head's tense. Some women will sleep in a fetal position and clench their hands. That's a sign of military sexual trauma in many cases. If that seems to be you, then this program has just been worth listening to. That's called sub-threshold PTSD, and it, and it adds another 6 to 10% to the number of veterans, soldiers, who have PTSD or in that pool. So again, if you have these symptoms, you say, what's wrong? You may have sub-threshold PTSD. You don't ring the bell. You don't get the cigar for it. But you need to consider it and maybe talk to the chaplain. How about that, Dave? Well, you know, I think that uh, you're making very good points, and particularly that... Uh, People that are, are on active duty right now, this is, is particularly good. Uh, people that have already uh, honorably gotten out of their service or whatever, uh, you know, they, they can't rely on, quote, in, quote, the chaplain. Uh, they have to go outside for that, that kind of help. But, uh, you know... I think uh, you were talking about what I went through in my training and so forth. I don't think that uh, I ever, I don't recall anyway, ever 
hearing about chaplains on active duty and how you could go to them. Uh, I had a situation of needing to uh, get out and go back and help my community after a tornado. And uh, my commanding officer wouldn't let me go. I had a week to graduation, which doesn't mean a whole lot when you're in AIT. Uh, it means that you, you've gotten through uh, advanced infantry training. But anyway, I went to the chaplain, and with a couple of hours, I was on a plane home uh, to help my National Guard unit take care of my hometown. And uh, the chaplains in the military, I can only address the Army. I don't know about any other branch, but the chaplains in the Army have a lot of influence and a lot of power, and uh, they are listened to. And they know... Yeah, they know if they're not listened to, they know which strings to pull. Dave, that's critical, and thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I hope this, you know, we're winding this this broadcast down, but I want to just review that you're caught in moral injury regardless if you believe in God or not. It has nothing to do with that argument, and I wanted to show the connections between belief. We daily we believe in things we don't see we know that they exist love friendship camaraderie you can't see that but we deal with it and these are the things that moral injury affects remember learning to treat moral injury is not for your patient it's for you and certain number of people and i think it's a larger percentage up probably to 40 percent depending on the, the units can be affected by moral injury. So what are we saying? Start looking for it. Start looking for it in your friends, your comrades, the other guys in your fire squads, your police detachments, and say, wow, I learned that this is out there. Forewarned is forearmed, and you may be able to save a life. Well, Dave, we are just about ended the program, and I'll let you take it on into the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, we've still got a couple of minutes to go, but... Uh, I think this, uh, the topic and the people that I, I guess I would ask too that those that listen to this pass it on to your friends because all of this is very important. And, you know, I, the longer I've been in this and the more I've gotten into, uh, you know, it's, they, they call diabetes and uh, high blood pressure silent killers. Well, I think that uh, PTSD, if, if not treated, is just as big a silent killer because it'll work on your heart, it'll work on your organs, all of your organs. And, you know, you don't even know that uh, you've got a problem until you got a problem. And, uh, that's so true, Dave. Yeah, that's what this program, and I'm thanking America's Web Radio for putting it on. PTSD is a silent killer. And you know what? We talked about frame of references. You don't know that you've been hurt. And, and imagine that. Uh, it's almost up there with people that get irradiated in the battlefield, so to speak. I didn't feel a thing. Well, that's right. You know, if you're shot, or you got a traumatic brain injury, you know you've been injured. But PTSD 
you don't know that you've been injured. And that's why we dwell on the symptoms of anger and frustration and startle response. Well, the same with moral injury, Dave. You don't know that you've been injured. And, you know, this is this is why the program is so good for everybody to listen to, the person that ha- that's gone through it and has PTSD, but also as important, if not maybe more important, uh, is the family member that's listening and says, you know, that explains a lot. That explains why, or whatever the case might be. And, uh, you know, this is why we do the show, and we ask for your support, and... Uh, we appreciate those that uh, have become patrons of the radio station and uh, are supporting us uh, silently, I might add. Uh, you know, we're all in this together, one way or the other. And uh, it's my unfortunate belief that... Uh, we're going to be in it together in more ways than one very shortly, and we're going to be looking at wherever we can turn for help, and that means the chaplain, our minister, whoever the whoever it might be, that we're going to be looking for their help, and uh, we're going to be facing things that uh, this country and our world has never faced before. So, it's... Uh, scary times ahead and it's unfortunate there's no easy answer and no quick answer to any of the things that could uh, be coming our way and the only thing we can do is look for change and get change in 2024 we can't put up with another four years of of uh, the lunacy that we've been seeing. So, with that being said, uh, I've hopefully I've ticked some people off with that, and uh, they will start looking at the situation that we're in. And uh, all we can do is go forward, and that's and in prayer, in prayer. In prayer. Exactly. So, well, Dave, thank you so much. You're welcome, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, being with you again next week. Thank you, sir. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.